This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, how much would I have to pay you to stop driving and start riding your bike? I'm not kidding, that is literally the city's latest climate initiative. But at the same time, they're canceling plans to plant new trees on West Colfax. So me and Bree and a special guest are trying to figure out what's going on. Plus, the mad scramble for summer camp spots is on, and our wins and fails of the week. Today is Friday, February 16th. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the home of the biggest Valentine's Day buzzkill in the country. (gasps) What? Attorney General Phil Weiser filed a formal lawsuit attempting to block the holy matrimony of King Supers and Safeway this week, Bream. Oh, the Kroger-Albertsons merger. Those two lovebirds. I don't know. Is (laughs) capitalism and love a thing that goes together? Oh, hell yeah. That's what Valentine's Day is all about, is capitalism and love. That's truly the love story of the year. I'm with this heartbreaking. Thank you, yeah. Attorney General Phil Weiser. I also don't. I mean, we've talked to folks on the, the Kroger side of the situation. Maybe we should yeah. check back in. It's I, I want to. I want to. Ever since the strike, um, I was so I got so like locked in on that with the King Supers workers going on strike and uh yeah. now this merger. I don't know exactly what the implications are gonna be. We'll and find it's out. like it feels like it's probably a little bit different than when it was announced yeah. like a year or so ago. I'd be curious what the stakes are right now and where the union is, but Yeah. Um, it's Friday. We're here in the it's 5280 Friday. Magazine studios to look back at the biggest stories of the week. You've heard her voice. Our host, Bree Davies, is here. Hey, Bree. Hi, Paul. Um, before we introduce our excellent guest today, uh, I need help. We need help. Oh, my God. We need so much help. <laughs> just in general, but on this specific We've thing. We've been <laughs> agonizing about this topic for weirdly for months. Yeah. this It's it's time now to open this up to, to you all, uh, the listeners. Um there are a few new bagel shops opening in Denver very soon, um, and the competition was already fierce with Call Your Mother opening in uh, Capitol Hill and Tennyson. Now there's a new one near Rosenbergs. me in Hilltop. Rosenberg's, of course, has been Zadies around for 15 years. New Zadies. A couple years ago. A yeah. lot. I mean, there's main wood grain bagels. That's one I like. Oh, I don't know that one. It's a Montreal-style bagel place in oh, Lowry. Lord. Montreal has this bagel style, Paul. Yeah, a very important and distinct bagel style. Okay. We'll talk about it well, soon. This is exactly why we need yes, you. Yes, exactly. This is why we need help. Um, we're looking for the biggest bagel fan in the city. Someone that can go with us and really test these places out and figure out what the best bagel is. So if you're a bagel freak, give us a call. Give us a call. Give let us, us know. Or if you know the biggest bagel fan in the city, tell us who that person is. Call in or text us at 720-500-5418. Um, please, please help us. Please. Uh, <laughs> For the love of God, if you love bagels, let us know. Uh, all right. It's time to introduce our excellent guest today. We've been so excited to have you on. Um, Mo Graham is a visual artist, a designer, an educator. And I learned this week the artist responsible for painting Brie into a mural <laughs> in Denver right now. Mo, welcome to the show. Howdy. What's that story? How'd that happen? Um, well, gentrification gentrifies. And mm-hmm. so it was important to me that I created a piece. I'm typically more of an abstract artist who does a lot of design work. But there was a new hotel going up in Five Points. And it just felt important that the people who are um, responsible for preserving Denver's culture be highlighted in a space like that. I didn't want to create another mural that was just a cute, funky design that made people feel excited about traveling here. I just wanted to add a little bit more of a acknowledgement about where people are and where they're going and, you know, just a little love note to my favorite ladies. 
So I do want to clarify, it's not just me. <laughs> it's not just Brie. <laughs> Uh, big glamour, glamour no, shot of no. Brie on the it side of a building. It includes yeah. other... Which would also be nice. Well, uh, well I feel better. Yeah. Also, this is not the reason we brought you on the show. I do want to make that clear. It's, a, it's actually... I'm only here to talk about how much I love Brie. <laughs> That's the only reason why I'm on the podcast. Transparency's sake, we are very much friends outside of the show. But it's me and uh, Caitlin Heffernan, Susie uh-huh. Q. Smith. So yes. Caitlin Heffernan, artist, activist, Susie Q. Smith, and prolific poet. Yes. Lady I, Speech, also Lady speech. a poet who just does incredible work around the community. Our friend Karma Lee, yeah. artist and educator as well. So it's on the Catbird? Catbird Hotel. Hotel. Okay, we'll post yeah, a picture. Yeah. It's it, it, fun. It is funky and cool. It's, yeah. all, it's the other stuff too, but it is funky and cool. I saw it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Anyway, artists, you know, I'm interested. You know, if anyone wants to put me on a building, you know, just saying. I'm, I'm here. I got a face. Detour, put me on there. If you're, if you're listening, you're listening <laughs> Paul's ready. Paul's a free agent, guys. I got time. <laughs> get him while you for can. modeling for murals. Um, <laughs> Mo, before we get into our top story, are, are you the bagel expert we've been looking for? No, I'm actually <laughs> a gluten-free human who only can sniff bagels. Interesting. What's yeah, the best so smelling can... bagel in the city? An everything bagel? Yeah. That's my favorite I bagel, love too. I to sniff it. It's just so good. <laughs> I like that you've committed to sniffing, not just like, I'm gluten-free, yeah. but also, I'll just get into being a oh, sniffer. Man. Carmine's, if you ever sniff those rolls, so good. I was okay. just, I was at Uncle last night across from Carmine's, mm-hmm. and I was like, I need to go in there. It's mm. been a while. Yeah. Go in there just to sniff the bag, just to sniff not the bagels, the rolls, the rolls. Yeah, yeah. Get Wonderful Italian place. <laughs> um, more smell content coming up on the show next week. By the way, just a little yeah, because this medium is great for smells. Wait, well, this one is it is a fun one. Um, anyway, we got to get to our top story this week, um, which is as it so frequently is uh, the pandemonium on our streets. Uh, this week we got the announcement of the first major project from Denver's. Climate Action, Sustainability, and Resiliency Office under Mayor Johnston. And I got to say, I think it's kind of weird. It's kind of different. They're going to be literally paying people to ride their bikes instead of driving. Hmm. I mean, it's an approach. We got to try something is how (laughs) I feel they might feel about it. Yeah, you think? Yeah. It's like, does it feel like a last ditch effort, Mo? I don't know if it's a last ditch effort. It is an effort. Regardless, I appreciate that part of what they're doing is kind of doing a little bit of an informative moment where they're kind of teaching people about the benefits of riding bikes and some of the so the social, but also like environmental impacts of riding bikes. And so, I mean, it's, it's an effort. Yeah. Hmm. Are you a bike person? Are you a driver? What's your relationship with this stuff? I really enjoy riding my bike and I finally live in an area where biking feels a little bit more accessible. Um, That's the key to me here. Yeah. The accessibility component. Right. And I live right off of South Broadway. And so they added the new bike lanes in, which is very, very nice. You do like it. That's a controversial bike lane, that Broadway bike lane. Well, in in my opinion, as somebody who has to deal with the traffic because of the construction, I Mm. think once it's gone, though, and everybody settles in, I think people will really enjoy it. Hmm. Hmm. I didn't so. know you were over on South Broadway now. This yeah. was a surprise yeah, to me. Yeah, when you said uncle, I was like, oh my gosh, say hi. <laughs> I didn't know you were over yeah. there because you've always been farther sort of towards the Aurora side, yeah. I think. So yeah. you are really in the city now. I'm super here. I love that. That, that. that to me is just like the biggest part of the underlying part of this conversation is, is it accessible to mm. you? Are the things that you do naturally in proximity to you enough where riding a bike would be feasible? And that's where I struggle. I love the idea, but there's, I feel like there's only a certain group of people that will be able to take full advantage of it. Yeah. And that was a little bit of my concern. Like, even if you just look at rent prices in the areas where it's the most success or accessible, the people who I think would really benefit from something like this don't actually have accessible bike lanes and biking abilities. And so I think that's where I start to raise a brow just a little bit and just say, who is this really helping and supporting? And the people who do get to do it, do they need the $200? Yeah, it's a really good question. It, it is a good question, and and the way they're rolling this program out is kind of weird too. And I I think they they've got this this equity concern y'all are talking about on their minds, but it's hard to tell because it it's still a pilot program from what I can tell, and they've dedicated one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to it, so it's not that much. They're just trying something out here, but they're doing it through three different contractors, 
there's, I mean, the Denver Streets Partnership is running it, and they're doing it one way. And then there's this other one happening on the West Corridor where Denverites in, I'll just read a quote here from, from uh, the Denverite story. With the West Corridor program, Denverites in West and Southwest Denver must have access to a bike, know how to ride, and be at least 18 years old. And up to 400 participants can get up to $150 each for riding their bike between April and June. Um, the program also have lotteries and bonuses to earn extra money. So there's like, I don't know. I mean, that kind of sounds fun. A little gamification element yeah. here to, to transit. And this is my neighborhood. So I would love to hear from folks in my neighborhood who would utilize this or are thinking about doing it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, our producer, Olivia, as soon as we saw this, she signed up. Totally. And she's already someone that's attempting to drive less by using the train and like and she lives in lakewood too she comes from downtown i wonder if she's gonna be able to get it living in lakewood oh i don't know that's a good question that's the hard part but at any rate she's somebody that i think is the perfect test for this yeah you know what i mean yeah um so let's just like overanalyze this a little bit more um because like i said this is this is the part that i think is really interesting this is the first new project from the climate office under mayor johnston Mm -hmm. um so the the climate office under hancock was led by grace rink and she pioneered this e-bike rebate program that kind of took the whole country by storm which has been so successful like in wildly successful hugely i know this made me want to bring it up yeah okay well are you an e-bike person well um I remember when all that was going on and I had some friends who got e-bikes and I used to, uh, when I was working at Redline Contemporary Arts Center, they have a program called Reach, which supports people um, dealing with a wide range of circumstances, but some of our humans dealing with housing insecurity were able to get e-bikes and that completely transformed the way that they were able to not only maintain housing because they were able to access different jobs and a lot of cool things happened through that e-bike initiative. That's awesome. That is yeah. fantastic. I mean, I've only heard good stories about it. Honestly, yeah. it just seems like really money well spent from the city. To, yeah. They got the impact they were hoping for. Well, and Paul, we rode those e-bikes. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. They're great. <laughs> they're awesome. My they're wife so got one. We took advantage oh, of it. Yeah. yeah. That's how I got here today. Because, I mean, I've been lugging around this 50-pound bag full of all this <laughs> dang recording equipment. And I can only bike in now on Thursdays because she has that e-bike. And we got this little saddle thing to put the gear in. Makes a difference when you're carrying. It's huge. Because that's the other thing I think about is folks that are carrying a lot of stuff with them, depending on what your job is. Yeah. So. so I don't know. I mean, getting paid $150 to ride your bike, is that also any incremental benefit I think will help someone, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know about this one. I just like, this just feels like, this feels out there to me. I don't understand it. I mean, I, to me, it always just goes back to the habit, creating the habit and uh, teaching people how to ride safely. So they feel safe. Cause that's the other thing is. I think a lot of folks don't ride their bikes because they don't feel safe in the streets. You know what I mean? There isn't enough protection for cyclists between cyclists and cars. So hmm. I would see that being, that's just the the tough part that can't be addressed necessarily by a program like this, but a program like this is also just trying to entice people to get out and try it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to check in on it um, as it, as it evolves over the summer, see how it goes. Um, there's another story about the pandemonium in our streets that I really want to talk about. This is from Denver seven this week. Uh, they reported that the department of transportation and infrastructure, AKA Dottie this week canceled planned landscaping that was going to be installed on West Colfax as part of vision zero improvements that are ongoing right now. Um, so there's just gonna, there's like some new medians going in and there was going to be trees and plants and stuff, but now, no trees, no plants. How, I, it's 2024. We're not doing this. We've already talked about it. We're not, not planting trees anymore. It's like, how do you expect people to A, walk safe? It's not just about safely walking somewhere or having the space that they're going to create with this infrastructure change to make it safer for pedestrians. It needs to be, it has to be shaded. I mean, this is just like a no duh. And I'm, I, I would be very frustrated if I lived in this neighborhood. I'm not far from it because they've been working on this streetscaping plan for like, I don't know, six years. Mm. They've had stakeholder meetings. People from the community have come. They've seen the renderings. It looks gorgeous. Paul, we've seen these renderings of these types of projects. And then they're going to go, oh, sorry, no trees. What? Yeah. Mo, what do you think about no trees? Humans need space. And when you walk around Denver in this moment, it can look very dystopian very quickly. And so, um, 
And I think about like the benefit, the environmental benefits, not only just like with building more habitats for animals and natural beings, um, little critters, but I think also of just how plants and these environmental changes improves human morale and mood. And just some of like the social benefits of something like a project like this. And so um, I'm just I'm always an advocate for the things that bring humans a little more peace and a little more calm. And there's only so many gates and concrete that you can put up before humans start to react and function in a way that doesn't offer them like a nice, calm heart. Yeah, I totally hear you, too. And I agree. I mean. Obviously. I mean, that, just look at the city. Like the poor neighborhoods are the ones without trees. The rich neighborhoods are the ones with trees. That's where people want to live. That's what we want. But- yeah. I, I think about that infrastructure difference between Cherry Creek neighborhood and my neighborhood. Yeah. It's so stark. But here's the thing, though. This is vision zero. This is this is the vision zero budget for Dottie. And vision zero is a commitment and a project to reduce traffic deaths. And I think that when you're setting priorities for money like this, and I checked with Dottie, the exact figure is $2 million. That's how much the landscaping would have cost. So that's $2 million that they're now going to be able to spend on other improvements that keep people from dying. So like morale and comfort and happiness and like better air quality, that's those are nice things. But I feel like if I'm the city, I got to prioritize, you know, not having my pedestrians getting killed. But can you not do both? Two million dollars. I mean, it's only you got to put it somewhere. And, somewhere but also, else. like, can we not maybe pull from some other section that's like doing things that's making it easier for cars? Like, we have to look at. To me, we have to look at the full budget. Yeah, yeah. The, that the, would be my course, question: is like, where are we prioritizing that money? Because again, are we thinking about the long term, or are we thinking about the short term? I agree. Yeah, it is about saving people's lives, but in twenty five years, those trees are going to look amazing and change the whole. St- feeling and structure of that street. I was thinking about in downtown Littleton, like the cute little part of old downtown Littleton, they had something happen with their trees. I think it might've been a disease of some kind. They had to cut down a bunch of trees. Mm. It changed the way it felt immediately as a pedestrian. And those are things that we notice. And I think you're right. Then we carry on mow the, that be that attitude then you walk in somewhere and you're all pissed because yeah. well <laughs> and walking next to the highway you're yeah. sweating yeah and don't get me started on like a whole like rampage about mental health it's like you want to talk about saving deaths these are the kinds of things that have a bigger impact than we realize um i don't want to skip ahead to some of my feelings for later chats but um i think and my my soapbox is like this dystopian world that we live in it doesn't People die from mental health and mental illness all the time, and these things that you're ta- that we're talking about do make a huge difference. I think in the way that people function. So, saving lives, how? Right, yeah. right. It's a harder thing to measure, I think, too. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, and yeah, like I said, we're we're going to keep on this. We're going to keep watching um, as this stuff rolls out. Uh, one other fact from Dottie. I checked, I asked them if Mayor Johnston had signed off on this canceling the trees idea, and they say they didn't talk to him beforehand. So I don't think he had any say in this one. Maybe they should have, honestly. Um, I wonder what he would be saying about this. I'm sure he signed off on the uh, the pay for biking situation from the climate office. Um, but anyway, that's something to talk to him about next time we yeah, have him we on the show. Yeah, we can ask him. Um, we got to move on. Uh, one last thing, the deadline for those bike pay to get to pay to ride your bike programs that's february 29th that's leap day end of the month so if you're interested in that uh there's details in the show notes right now we're going to take a little break hear from some advertisers come back talk about summer camp this episode is brought to you by the colorado wine board because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. All right, and we're back. 
Now, you might be thinking, why talk about summer camps in February? But I bet that means you don't have kids Uh because I have learned this week that this is the time that parents uh, are scrambling madly to figure out what their kids are going to be doing this summer. Uh, The wait lists are filling up. And uh, between Mayor Johnson's budget cuts at Parks and Rec and the increasing demand for these summer camps, the scrambles matter than ever. Um, Denver Wright reported this week that Parks and Rec has canceled its Summer in the Parks program this week, leaving many parents without a good alternative. Bree, what do you say to those parents? I'm so sorry. I mean, I think there's a reason that parents are always trying to plan ahead to figure it's about child it's essentially about child care because we live in a society where you have to work and so you have to find somewhere for your kids to go and school provides that to a certain extent during the rest of the year mm-hmm. this isn't a bad thing but summer camps generally provide that during the summertime and so for working parents to pull this out all of a sudden it's like I the scrambling is real if mm. you especially because these are usually more affordable programs and summer camp can be really from the city you mean yeah mm. because private summer camps can be way more expensive mm. super expensive. what are we how, how expensive I, I have no I idea mean a couple hundred bucks a week and mm. so depending on how much time your kid is there um depending on what kind of a program it is also sometimes you're piecing together like two weeks at art camp two weeks at the zoo camp you know what i mean and it's like a crazy schedule and so i just for folks that don't have the benefit of like family that can help you out and in, in these situations like i do this is this had to be pretty jarring for parents hmm. i think also like a lot of times they have either, you know, visiting artists or think about like the college kids who are coming home and kind of depending on this income or like, I think this kind of runs deep beyond just like for the parents. I think there's a lot of people who depend on summer camps for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Hmm. The economics of it on the employment side, that's a great point. It's like, cause I worked at a summer camp every summer in high school. And um, so, you know, it was my summer job, but you're right. We had folks, <laughs> the funny part was our, our summer camp also was part of the Renfest circuit for summer reason so the i worked renaissance with, i worked with a lot of off the, what are they oh, that does called? not seem like you're seen <laughs> at all oh, it is not. <laughs> i worked with a gentleman who in all seriousness went by taz taz yes taz Ooh. if you're the still out there i hope you're doing great but they there was seasons when they worked at the ren fest and then they would work summer camp with us and so it is one of those seasonal employment jobs you're out of college or Maybe you're an older person and this is like the, you know what I mean? This, the hours and stuff work for you. It is one of those jobs. Hmm. Is that, is that your connection to it, Mo? Is it, is it working for one of these things or do you remember you going for one as a, going to one as a kid or? I mean, as an educator, um, you know, working with a lot of families, I think that's kind of my closest connection to us, to this particular story. Um, I just know a lot of working parents, you know, who really don't have the flexibility to, you know, work from home or, um, you know, just all of the things that come with that. And I remember specifically families coming to us saying, you know, it's May, it's April, I need to figure out what to do with the kids over the summer. Do you have any suggestions? And even summer school, a lot of like a huge motivation for even just a lot of Title I schools to do summer school, not only as credit recovery, but also to support working families who need places to take the kids and to give kids something that's more stimulating. I think about kids who are, and kiddos who are living in low income environments. I mean, sometimes it's not the best choice to leave your kids at home all day with the freedom to do whatever Hmm. with their time. The structure structure. can be really important. And like we talked about saving lives earlier, that's one of those things that like summer camps can be a really big part of preserving not only the innocence of children, but also their lives and their ability to be able to learn new skills. Um, You know, sometimes I think about I think about parents in these low income um, schools who and families in the low income schools who are, even though they would love to be able to be emotionally available to students, don't necessarily always have the ability to be that. Mm. And so it's really the the people who are working at these camps who can give these kids the space and time to express themselves and learn new skills and have that sort of social emotional connection that maybe they don't always get access to because their parents are working or their families are working two three jobs to be able to make ends meet. And what we know about inflation right now is it's just bonkers and it's crazy. So hmm. it's provided 
providing that that yeah. social. Just and, another one of those things. Yeah, that, yeah, again, that's like not necessarily as measurable as other sort of things that we look at, cost or whatever, but yeah. just like emotional well-being, being around safe adults. Um, yeah. you know, folks that are teaching you things in the world. Totally. So it's like the the impact of something like this, I think, runs a lot deeper than it than we might realize. And being in a capitalist society, and I don't know all of the motivations for closing this program down, but in one hand, they might be saving a couple thousand dollars, but then the impact of saving that couple thousand dollars is pretty massive. And you never notice until, you know, years later, you see what ends up happening to the kids who were able to access these kinds of programs. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Well, as usual, this kind of thing, whenever there's like a decrease in public spending on something, I always think, well, this seems like an opportunity for some someone in the private market to come up here and start some new summer camps. I wonder why that hasn't happened. Because this has been, we've known about this issue about summer camps being like yeah. the com- competition and the wait list being so long. Why Why aren't there more? Is it a space issue? Is it like... I mean, it's childcare too. Just like the regulations around childcare and getting yourself set up to do that. I just hmm. know from talking to my son's uh, school, which is a very small school, the things she has to go through every couple of months just to make sure they're up to code and regulated mm. and everything is safe. I can see where it would be like, well, you got to really be invested, not just like, I want to throw some money at a fun summer camp and Dang. hire some artists to hang out with my kids or whatever, okay, you know? Take my CityCast Denver summer camp folder and throw that in the <laughs> hey, trash. You could make a podcasting, like a you could make a podcasting camp. You think that'd be popular? Oh, yeah. yes, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, we'll take that off. I mean, I, a, Youth on Record does it. I mean, it is a thing for sure. And I went to some of these camps as a kid. I remember going to the Denver Zoo camp uh-huh. um, and some arts camps and stuff like that. And it's cool, too, because it's just it's it's not school, but yes. you're learning something. And I don't know, it just feels the structure matters. I know the safety of structure is so important to kids. Regular schedules, meeting with the same people, being around people you feel safe with, especially adults in your life. It's a big deal. Yeah, Yeah. I was a boys and girls club kid. And so um, summertime though was awesome because it was like you got to be all day with your friends and then we were taking trips places and we were learning how to cook really cool yummy things and then there was like a computer club and so then you know and they can be so specialized where school is such a general education thing where um, you know, it's your math, your science, whatever. But then what's cool about these camps is you get to learn stuff and participate in things that you're so interested in. And like mm-hmm. this find is your passion. Yeah. This is where our super cool engineers like find their moment and have their spark. This is where the artists get their spark. And, you know, these can be the things that transform the way that these kids become super cool adult humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is reminding me of uh, my one summer camp memory. I, I'm not a religious person, but as a oh, kid, a I camp? went to a church camp. And I remember one night there was like, it was like a nighttime ceremony where they had all the kids, like you make it a little boat, you put a little candle in the boat and you oh, pushed yeah. it out into the water. And it was supposed to be this very sweet moment. And they were like, just sit with the boat as long as you want, you know, just watch your boat, watch the candle as long as you want. And all the other kids would just were sitting there and I was just like, absolutely not. I'm going back to the, going back to my camp or going am, back I'm to my done. cabin. I'm, I'm good. That's, that's fine. Boat's cool. <laughs> Moving on. So I guess I learned something that day. You know, this, this faith stuff's not for me. Um, Brie, help, help me square a circle here. We're seeing declining enrollment at DPS right now. Yeah. I think that means families are leaving Denver. I think so too, because it's hard to, it's expensive to live here. Right. So you see where I'm going with this? Like how, how do we all, how do we see these two things happening at the same time? These, these huge wait lists and also fewer kids. Or maybe different kids? Maybe different kids. I'd be curious if it means that folks are putting their kids more in in pri- private schools or something or hmm. or what it is. But um, I don't – that's a really good question, Paul. I mean, there are kids still here, though. My neighborhood yeah. is full of them. So many. Or maybe so the, they... the demand for some of the camps is, like, also suburban or – I don't know. Maybe it's about location. I don't know. It also makes me think about some of the school closures that happen within DPS and right. um, the way that privatized education and – yeah, I don't know. I, it makes me just think about, like, maybe there's a correlation there and – Denver Journal of Education and Community did a series of articles um, 
and community conversations around school closures. And some of the students from Whittier Elementary were able to talk about their experience. And they all talked about how much they love their schools, but they noticed that all of their friends were having to move to different schools as well. And so, um, and I think about changing neighborhoods like Five Points or the way to your school is, it's like the original population of humans no longer looks that way. And you have a lot of people moving into Denver and then they don't necessarily enjoy the demographic of the school. And so then there is like sort of this like urge to, move kids outside of the neighborhood school. So now all these neighborhood schools are moved are like closing down, right. um, which is, so I'm wondering, I'm just, I guess. I'm wondering what all yeah. those, how those yeah, fit together. Totally. Yeah. Like low enrollment, but is it really low enrollment or is it just like the population of people who are moving into those neighborhoods are not interested in those neighborhoods. So they're seeking other, are not interested in those neighborhood schools. So they're seeking other options. Yeah. Totally. I think you're onto something there. Yeah. I think it's one, I mean, Education is like it's. I think it's a hard sell for some people, especially if you don't have kids. It's not so interesting, but it I, to me, it has always been the place where you can see a city changing. You can see some of those like elemental glacial shifts that really affect how a city looks and feels, and you see them first in schools. Um, anyway, one one last thing about this before we go on. Um, I mentioned Mayor Johnston's budget cuts about this, and the Denverite article put that pretty much front and center on like why or they made a connection about the budget cuts in parks and rec and this particular summer camp being cut but then clarified from parks and rec that this had nothing to do with the budget cuts i was so confused by this i was i wondered why it was even in the article and i wonder like about the narrative around these budget cuts and like what are we getting into here is this some bigger thing that we're maybe should be anticipating something about it brie what do you think about that i don't know it's been such a weird conversation lately i think because Denver has done so well and like we've been pretty flush with yeah, money. It's been, it's been, <laughs> we're growth. not as, yeah, we've been growing for a long time. We haven't been one of those cities that's losing massive population. And, and so now maybe we're reaching a point where we're just not as flush with cash and we're starting to see what it looks like to be a city that doesn't have as much money accessible for public, for public programs. Yeah. Got to make more harder choices. Yeah. About paying people to ride their bikes or <sighs> putting trees on West Colfax or no. running summer camps for kids. I always think about the, like, when we do these urban planning, they're called charrettes where the community comes together and you, you know, you look at all the different things we could do in this area and everybody gets a bunch of stickers and you go, where would you, if you could spend your, you're the city budget guy, where would you spend your money? And everybody puts their stickers where they want. Bike lanes. Like, you know, I'm thinking about that. Like, I want trees on West Colfax. I want kids to have summer camp mm-hmm. options. But in the reality, that's not how those things get chosen. It's not, it's not by us in a community charrette. So we rely on the folks that we, um, that we elect to make those decisions for us. So. Well, um, listeners, we want to hear from you about that too. You know, I want to know what are the best summer camps in the city? You know, what are, what are the hot, what are the hot ones? What are the hot ticket summer camps or, you know, and what's your experience yeah. getting into one or, or not, or, you know, I just know that from swimming lessons, it took me a year and a half to get my kid in oh, to man. public swimming at the rec center. So yeah, it was crazy. So I'm sure that it's just as tough for this. Well, call in. Let us know what you think. 720-500-5418. Again, that's 720-500-5418. Um, we're going to take another break and come back with the best way to end the week. Wins and fails. All right, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Time for our favorite way to end the week. The, my favorite segment, mm. Rocky Mountain Highs and Lows, a.k.a. Wins and Fails. We've each brought a recent local something um, that we have observed or read or noticed or felt or... Are pissed that's about? It. Yeah, or something we're upset about and we're going to talk about them. Um, we're going to do fails first so we can end on the good stuff. Free. Uh, mine is, you seem ready. I'm pissed. Let's hear it. Pissed. Give it to us. Uh, So this former right-wing radio host, Stefan Tubbs, was hired by a local division of the DEA, an arm of the government, the Drug Enforcement Agency, to be their PR specialist. Um, I hesitated talking about this on the show because this gentleman uh, is known for a lot of not great things, one of them relentlessly harassing a friend of mine to the point where she felt unsafe in her own home. After, on the show, he did this harassment, yes, right? On his, his platform. He used his platform on KNUS to harass her. 
um, and send people after her uh, online to harass her as well. But I'm not going to let him scare me out of talking about how dangerous it is for someone like him to be working for the government. Um, So he outside of this job that he now has for the Drug Enforcement Agency, when he did have his show on KNUS, he relentlessly went after safe injection sites, um, which was a bill last year that um, would create spaces for folks to use drugs so they don't overdose and they can test their drugs and all these things that harm reduction activists have been talking about for decades on how we keep people alive. He's very against that. He's he's a war on drugs person. He's a pro-war on drugs person working for the DEA. But... um, well, it says something about the DEA, I think. Uh, has this approach worked, guys? Because pretty sure it hasn't. We're still losing hundreds of people every year to overdoses. Um, but he's also, um, I want to quote from the Colorado Times recorder who's done the most reporting on this. When he had his show beyond the drug issues, he mocked public health officials and political leaders who were in promoting COVID vaccines. Um, he enabled at least one caller on his show to spread in misinformation to spread misinformation about vaccines. And he um, defended a KNUS staffer who came under fire for making numerous social media posts in support of Nazi ideology. Um, He was fired from KOA after he was arrested on suspicion of domestic violence. He is the man many of you may know who is behind the unhinged quote documentary Denver in Decay. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Which uh, was just a sort of a propaganda piece to villainize unhoused people, people who use drugs, people in the midst of mental health crises in public. Um, And he's apparently working on another film right now that uh, is targeting people harmed by the fentanyl crisis. And now he's a PR specialist working for our government. And just a reminder, PR PR people are the connectors between like a government agency in this case and the media, right? He will. So like if we wanted to interview the head of the local DEA office, we we would have to go through. We go through Stephen Tubbs, Tubbs, who has also referred to Denver media as, quote, lazy and not doing their job. So I am blown away that the DEA has hired this person. And I'm just beyond frustrated as a person that... uh, cares about people that use drugs. Wow. This is not the guy. That's quite a fail, Bree. I um, know. I'm sorry to make it so heavy so quick. No, that's, that's cool. okay. Mo, do you ever listen to KNUS? <laughs> no. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> oh. I do not. All right, let's leave it there. Let's, let's move on. Mo, you want to give us your fail? Um, I noticed that an encampment off of um, 20th, and I think that is Champa, mm. right next to the U.S. Post Office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an encampment there, and then that had got swept. But I think what has also been driving me crazy is the way that they are replaced with fences, and in this particular case, boulders. And we keep seeing them everywhere. So we won't plant trees, but we'll put boulders and these disgusting fences. And... I think they're supposed to be like a we're supposed to be giving them gold stars for giving them temporary housing for 30 days or something like that. And so I think we're supposed to give gold stars for that. But I don't think it's actually helping anything. And I Mm. and I am really struggling with these Band-Aids and it's cold outside. So it's better that people have access to warm spaces to sleep and all of that. But it's specifically the boulders that are driving me crazy because our city used to be so beautiful. It used to be such a gorgeous city. And right now it looks like a dystopian apocalyptic movie. Yeah. Like, is this a better option? Is this better? Is it really doing anything by telling people they can't sleep there? um, Right off of like 24th and Arapahoe, um, people have just found ways to work around the boulders and still be able to sleep on the boulders. And so, um, but homeless populations are going up in insane amounts. It's really cold right now. So people are dying every single night. Mm. And I'm just like, it's just really breaking my heart because I feel like people can only yell so loud until actual helpful things are done. So your rant also drives me crazy because what people don't understand too, and I learned this during a harm reduction training, part of the reason that drug use goes up in the winter time is so that people can keep moving because if they stay still and they go to sleep, they could freeze to death. Because your body temperature drops also when yeah. you sleep. We talked to about so, a doctor about this, and he was like, it's a double-edged sword, too, kind of, though, because some drugs drop your body temperature. So 
it's like some folks are using some drugs because of that. And then other times it's even making it more dangerous for them to be outside using drugs. Yeah. It's so. just, and it's just like this crazy cycle. And I don't know. And so I saw, I saw that the encampment had closed and then I saw that they replaced it with boulders. The and boulders it just really, really bothers me. Hostile architecture. Yeah, is the I was term wondering, this. does this hostile count as hostile architecture? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because when yeah. I think about hostile architecture, I think about the built in things like, benches that have the handles little, in the middle well, of yeah, them yeah. so you can't lay down or the spikes that they put up so skateboarders can't skateboard on something but a boulder being put in place of something is hostile architecture too my my so. favorite hostile architecture in the city <laughs> i don't know if it's my favorite you know what it is my favorite it's um, your favorite <laughs> yeah it's my favorite there's a building on the 16th street mall that has speakers that are playing classical oh, music 24 7 <laughs> i think that's supposed to be i, I we, think it's a deterrent that's like art abuse i don't <laughs> love that <laughs> I having a bad what day doing. Yeah. listen to Beethoven <laughs> really loud so you can't sleep is <laughs> really the point that, that part I don't like but for me a classical music fan but I think I just want to say we talk about the state of downtown all the time Paul and we mm -hmm. talk about what makes it attractive and what doesn't to bring people downtown and maybe boulders are not inviting yeah. boulders ain't it so, Boulders ain't it. It's not doing it. Mo, you've mentioned this apocalyptic vibe a few times. Because it's driving me crazy, Paul. It seems like it is. I, I hear you <laughs> on that. It's hurting my heart. But where I, I think I think there's parts of the city that are beautiful. Where where do you like where where do you think is nice? You know, with your artist's eye, what what's the part of the city that's that's pretty to you? Um, I really enjoy the Platte River right near REI and all of that stuff. There's Hell a yeah. cool little think spot underneath yeah. of a bridge yes. um, in that area that I really enjoy. So I don't want to say that there aren't beautiful things, but if you just between the boulders and like the and just like they're closing off the Civic Center Park with the fences, to, mm. there's just like. It's a lot of messaging that says no. Yes, it's a lot of messaging. When Denver used to be a place where you were you were supposed to just like you're supposed to skip and frolic. <laughs> and it was a place where you could wear your socks and your Birkenstocks and you know like do cartwheels. And now you came all the way from California for that, didn't you? I <laughs> did. I heard there was frolicking here. <laughs> yeah, that's what I saw. But when I mean, I, got I also the think you're part of the the thing that makes it beautiful, which is the murals part and the yeah. creating things that entice people to stay in a place. Yeah, nothing says out. enjoy my mural like a silver fence that goes in front of it. <laughs> that's that's really how you honor the art for yeah. sure. This I'm gonna Don't have to go it. find this spot near REI. Later today, I've got my semi-annual trip that. to REI planned to buy a water bottle coming up. I so. love that part of the city. It's, it's so, so beautiful. beautiful. There's grass. There's just like, you see people hanging out. It's just, no. It's the best people watching it springtime people watching. right there. And like, I like to just like watch the couples and their dogs. Like, there are a lot of couples with dogs. It's just, I don't know. It's just so cute. <laughs> uh, Paul, do you? Yeah, I got to fail. fail. I got to fail. I'm going to stretch a little bit further outside of the city to uh, Colorado Springs and specifically a story I saw in the Colorado Springs Gazette. Um, Colorado College is a small liberal arts school in the Springs and the president who is the who is the first woman of color to lead Colorado College. She's black and Korean. Her name is L. Song Richardson. And she recently announced that she will be resigning after this semester after only three years in her post, which is very unusual. Um, because, as she wrote, uh, my legal and academic career has focused on the pursuit of equity and fairness. As our national dialogue around these topics continues to intensify, I find myself increasingly torn between my desire to pursue that work as an academic with the freedom to fully engage in these debates, express my personal views, and challenge the status quo and my responsibilities to Colorado College as president. So, obviously, we don't know all the details here. You know, I would love to talk to her about this and hear about what was happening inside the administration of this university that has been such a pillar of, you know, our academic community here in Colorado. But to me, this is a fail because she didn't feel comfortable being herself, being her true self and doing this job. And I feel like that says something about Colorado College. You know, if you want to be this liberal arts school, like what are you, what are you doing wrong? Yeah. But also there's a national conversation about this going on. So it's like, I don't know, it's like kind of a half-hearted fail too, or I just, I'd like to know more and I'm sad that she's leaving. I just imagine she's exhausted. After the last three years? Yeah, that sounds Yeah, right. being in that position, being a woman of color, 
the national conversation that is happening around um what was the the ousted president claudine gay claudine at harvard, gay at harvard mm-hmm. after this like weird right wingy attack of her character and just like false claims about things that she had done it was just like so out there and i just i feel the exhaustion for folks like this like i are we making things better structural changes or are we just installing people and saying look at what we did here's our dei move yeah she has to live that and and be the edge that run the school and you know, I, that's a lot. It's a lot. And then having to be an ambassador for an institution that is committed to checking boxes and not actually like thinking critically about the fabric of how they function. That might be, she might be an indicator of that. Yeah, a little it's, struggle. It's difficult too, because these, these campuses are, you know, it's supposed to be a bastion of like free speech and like free ideas. And I love that about college. That was, that was a great part of my college experience, but, um, there's something that's happening where like that doesn't f- work for everybody, I think. Right I'm now, ho- where, like I'm just people's hoping, values are changing around that. I ho- I'm hoping she can be candid enough to to talk about what happened or how she got to that decision. Well, because yeah. I would love to hear more. Hopefully, when the dust settles, yeah, we'll we, get the tell-all. We will. We will be working on that. Um, but she says she's going back to her faculty position at UC Irvine at the end of the semester. So maybe maybe we'll get a chance. Maybe we won't. Go ant eaters. Oh yeah. <laughs> Is yeah, that their that's mascot? where my little sister goes. Shout out to Ava and Kinsey. <laughs> oh, I nice. know they're anteaters freshman year. That's really cute. Yeah, that is cute. good for them. I'm happy for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's go to wins. Let's go to wins, and I'm going to start because go. I got a really short one. Kay. The bus. My win goes to the bus. I've been riding the bus the last month or so. I haven't talked about Look it. Look at you, I ha- Paul. I know, I know. You haven't talked about me, it. I'm signaling some virtue right now. You I'm are. a bus guy. Um, but I had to take my car into the shop a few, like a month ago, and I had to ride the bus one day, and I was like, this is fine. Why am I not doing this more? I looked. I used the app. The app is good. I could plan my trip. What do you take? Like, say, okay, do you take it to Westward? You doxing me right now? I'm not no. telling you my bus line. Okay. All but yeah, right, fine. I, I'm, going, fine. I'm using it on Mondays to go to Westward. Okay. And it's good. It does take me as long to walk to the station as it would to drive to my destination. (laughs) I know. I was just thinking. I was like, Paul, I grew up in your neighborhood. It's pretty easy to drive from your neighborhood to 13th and Lincoln. Yeah. But But, good for you. It's worth it to me. It's worth it to me. I'm enjoying it. Changing habits. Yeah. Good job. That's and nice. it also means I have more time for podcasts now. So I know um, CityCast listeners have really good taste. So send me some recs. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, out, I'm a little bit out of the game. What they're listening to. What you guys are listening to. Um, Mo, do you want to give us a win? Um, Alchemy Ritual got their new build, got their new um, shop spot. Apparently it happened a year ago, but I found this out this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is this place? I don't know. The Alchemy um, Ritual? Oh, it's, it's so good. It's so good. It's a place for all of the spiritual goodies that you could possibly need. I'm just laughing because this is not Paul's bag at all. Is this like witchy stuff? Yes. Yeah. Crystals? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but then also like the good, like your teas, your incense, Mm -hmm. like stuff that's good for your belly and for your soul. But they have their new building and I found out, or it's not a building, it's a new location. Yeah. And they have a workshop space and they've been, they started doing workshops. And I just think Hmm. that that's really awesome. And they've really created a cool community around their store. They really have. And it's just such a cute little spot and the lighting is beautiful and the plants are thriving. It's so good. It's enjoyable to be in there. It is. It really, and it smells good. If Mm. you just want a good sensory moment, just go smell and touch things in there. (laughs) A couple of smell recommendations on the show today. I know, apocalypse and sniffing things. That's all I got for you, Paul. (laughs) Where's the location? Where's the snoop spot? 27th in Arapahoe. Very oh, cool. yeah, right Very down cool. here. Yeah. All right, Brie, give us your win. Um, I just, I enjoyed this profile of the Stanley Hotel deal in Westward this week oh, from yeah. Katie Cheshire. Mm. I loved the layout of the situation that she did. So the Stanley Hotel was sold to a nonprofit. It's kind of complicated where the money's coming from, but at any rate, the idea was to be able to do upgrades to the hotel, expand it, build a film center because there's, you know, the Stanley Film Festival. Like Such a good idea. Oh, it's I such hope they a can genius finally idea. Do it. But they're partnering also with this nonprofit that works on cryogenic freezing stuff of bodies. Oh. To talk because they brought Frozen Dead Guy Days there from right. Netherland. Um, because the festival was so successful and um, Nederland didn't have the infrastructure as a city to support it. And uh, Estes was like, we do. Mm-hmm. And I think this was the gentleman that owned the Stanley 
for the last 25 years. This was his idea. But um, just like making these really cool connections to find funding, to expand something that's really cool. Estes Park's already one of my favorite spots. I just can only imagine this is going to get better and better. But the profile that Katie did in Westward is it made me so excited just learning about this way that the Stanley is going to be run. And I would just recommend reading it. It's fun. It's fun read. It made me excited about uh, Mountain Town again in a way that like feels still accessible to people. Mm. I loved it. Yeah, I think um, the Stanley is a is like a destination for horror movies. Like, it's what genius. a smart branding move! So of I'm course so glad that. they leaned into it. Yes, and now they're building a state of the art facility to watch those movies. Hell so yeah. good, good. I am not a horror person at all. I don't like being scared. I actually, hate it. Um, <laughs> don't like haunted things at all. But I do enjoy the Stanley Hotel. Mo, how about you? Is this the Stanley? Is this a thing for you? Um, you know, the Stanley is always one of those things that I have watched other humans enjoy. You should go. I need to go. You need to go. You would love it. I need to go. It's like, it's, yeah, it's one of those things that I always think about, but then never do. And the downtown Estes is so cute. They have their little strip, their little downtown. It's, it's perfect. But I just love the story. I loved learning about the backstory of what this is going to look like. Like, it's not just like another hotel chain takes it over. It's not like a Marriott now. It's like, it's a little bit different. And um, there was state funding involved. It's really interesting. Yeah, tourism. Go, I saw. go Colorado. Cool. Um, well, here we are at the end of the show. Mo, we're, we're going to give you a little space to do some plugs because we, we know you have a, a cool panel coming up at the yeah. one of my favorite museums, the Kirkland. The uh, Kirkland. Very soon. Tell us about this panel. Yeah, um, I will be leading a panel for um, a panel discussion about Bob Ragland at the Kirkland Hotel through Historic Denver. And so that will be really fun. And then in March, I have, um, oh, sorry. And for people who don't know who Bob Ragland is, he is sort of the grandfather of artists in Denver. He's everybody's mentor. He um, is the most polite harasser in the world (laughs) you know he's just got such a he had such a huge personality and um his big thing was that artists shouldn't starve and so he would make sure that we all received his mail and that we all received his conversation and he would reach out to all of us to make sure Mm -hmm. that we had guidance and support in becoming working professional artists i'll be moderating that conversation which i feel really excited about Hmm. Sounds fantastic. I don't know anything about this person. Oh, man, he was so cool. The letters that you mentioned. I've seen some of the letters he sent to friends and relatives, and they're just these beautiful, illustrated, they're wild pieces of art on their own, but they're also like him talking to you. Yeah. And And just like being a booster of other artists and showing folks how to live Make a, make a living. Yeah. Make Very a living. Cool. Do Very your cool. thing. That's cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we'll have a link to that event in the show notes. Mo, thank you so much for joining us today. This was yeah. so much fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I enjoy you too. This was great. Thanks for being here. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, and Olivia Jewel Love. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter, Hate Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetics, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, at CityCastDenver, and tell the biggest bagel fan you know about us the next time you see him. You can sign up for that daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week. on monday for president's day we should say that we're off on monday for president's day see you on tuesday